Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, and welcome back again to the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am your host, Harlan Pickett. Boy, we got a good one for you today from the dark underbelly of healthcare. That's right. That's where this gentleman says he lives, the dark <laughs> underbelly of healthcare, but close to the happiest place on earth. That's right. We're talking today to Timothy Poor. Timothy does something very, very important. Uh, him and his organization help folks with post-acute care. That's their primary function. They also do some stuff kind of in the front side too to help you if you need that as well. But we're going to learn more about him. I'm telling you right now, folks, one of the biggest challenges, I've seen it through my family, I've seen it through clients, is what do you do when you get out of the hospital? That post-acute care can be very, very challenging. And typically, there's no one to help you. Timothy, tell me more uh, first of all, how you got here, because I noticed in some of our pre-conversations, it certainly wasn't where you expected to be, but talk nope. about kind of how you got here, and then let's talk some more about what you guys really do to help folks. Yeah, so um, I uh, I moved down to Florida and uh, worked with my family, and I, I'm originally from Florida, I'm originally from where I live, and, uh, and, and that's just outside of Orlando, and um, I Want to get into? Uh, actually, I want to get into pharmaceutical sales. I want to be a drug dealer, and um, kept applying and and wasn't getting. Well, Florida, but, uh, Florida's a good place for that. <laughs> it is a good place for that. <laughs> so I've heard. <laughs> and I get um like, but I got a job in a, a post acute care um, with hospice services, and I got a job there as a marketer as uh, for Vitas Healthcare, and they have pretty exceptional training. At least I, I think they did at the at the time. Um, uh, Dominic is a, was a, a, Nick, Nick was a very good uh, uh, corporate trainer, and and, and I, I think he was probably too good because they were literally other companies were literally picking reps out from the training sessions <laughs> that they were having. But they had a very good foundation on you know making you understand what's going on in post acute care. And uh, I did that for I did I did I always say it's a tour of duty because a lot of people work for Vitas in the healthcare world. Um, you know, part of it's because of that, that training that they do. And I ended up working for, for a brief stint with a home health company. And then I, I, you know, as a, as a, uh, as a favor to a good friend of mine, uh, he kept asking me to take this interview with this company on a post-acute care side. I was really kind of hesitant because at, at the time I was working with a, a pharmaceutical company on what's called a priority review voucher. It's sort of like a golden ticket. It gets you to the front line for a, for a pharmaceutical you know um, approval process, and you know really wasn't too interested. But you know it, you know it, it was going to pay the bills essentially. So 
I, I, I sat down and took the interview and um, they asked me how much I would want. I gave I knew what the last guy got paid. So I was like, <laughs> I really didn't want to do the job. And so I, I gave like a, a really ridiculous number and, uh, and the VP didn't even blink. Uh, he said, okay, you can start Monday. You know, like type deal. And I just like, I went out to my car. <laughs> I really didn't want to do this. I think like, you know, I started hyperventilating. I'm like, what the hell did I just get myself into? You know, um, this isn't the direction I want to go. So I, um, reason being that they, uh, were, they probably would have paid more for me um, is because they needed somebody because uh, they were selling uh, that region of the company and they needed to have somebody who was going to be working in sales and marketing and admissions for those skilled nursing facilities in order to, for that deal to go through because I was going to be covering a lot of buildings and um, got got purchased um, uh, stayed with the stayed with the new owners and uh, ended up uh, helping them identify and purchase other skilled nursing properties. And once we would purchase those buildings, uh, we would backfill them. Uh, so essentially, we're we're working on you know if you're if you buy a skilled nursing facility or a new operator, the best way to get into a, with a hospital is it takes some really challenging patients, and um, you know that that's going to definitely get that hospital's attention. And so you will take those patients, and and then um, you know you figure out like how how your building is going to uh, make money off of them and deliver the care that the patient needs. And, um, you know, because if there's no money coming in for that patient, there's no care because it's going to be delivered no matter, no matter how deep, deep your miracle bag is. And so I did that for a few years. Um, and uh, I decided I was going to go away and do something else. I wanted to um, I wanted to work in helping primary care physicians stay independent, kind of like what you do. <laughs> and, you know, so direct primary care was a very interesting model and I uh, was really started to uh, study that a lot. Um, but I kept getting these hospitals kept calling me and saying, hey, we got this patient here, not quite sure what to do. Uh, would you just mind just taking a look and just give you this, you know, your thoughts? And, um, you know, so eventually we got to a point where one hospital, a director of care management said, you know, you should charge for this. And um and we then we developed a payment model at that point because I was like this this might actually pay the bills, and and so that that kind of um that started ATP Healthcare, um and and um you know now we're several years into it and we kept seeing that this is the same issues are uh, happening again and again and again, um and anytime you see it there's a repetitive sort of like uh, activity going on um you know or you kind of say to yourself I could I could build a machine to do this. And so we uh, we we teamed up with another company, and uh, specializes and and uh, analytics, especially uh, specifically in uh, artificial intelligence um, and, and applying uh, analytics for that. And we developed a an AI uh, platform to assist hospitals in identifying placement options for challenging patients, but then it also migrate it. it, it it, it works with the patient throughout their care journey into post-acute care and either into long-term care or into um, the back to the primary care physician. And we're, we're currently, um, we're currently deploying that with, with a health system. So, um, and, and it's, and it's provider. So it, it, it moved quite a long ways and we got to really kind of see like, you know, working and especially working with these healthcare providers, both on the acute and post-acute care side, really get to see kind of like some of the difficulties or the stresses that they, they deal with uh, uh, continuously, whether it be a level one trauma center 
or a critical access hospital out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, they 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 have like there's they have a lot of challenges that they're having to face in delivering the best quality care that they can for for those patients. No one no one sits there and wakes up in the morning um and, and saying I'm I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a bad job today. <laughs> you know, it's like every every everybody that's in there on the administrative side and even on the clinical side are 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 doing you know the best that they can for the, the patients that they represent. Uh, it's it's just sometimes it's very difficult with the circumstances that they're in for them to do what they want to do. And so we kind of work on, you know, developing systems and systems in place where that makes it a little bit easier uh, for those, for those individuals to do, do the jobs that they need to do. You know, there's something that you said in there that really struck a, a chord here. And I, I had to look back on some notes that I had made when I was originally uh, planning on sitting down and talking to you. And it, it's an interesting thing that I don't think too many people think about, even in this industry. And that's the fact that there are patients. I mean, you work with both sides. You work with the hospitals and facilities, and you also work with individuals and families. Yeah, right? we'll also work with individuals. Yeah, that, that happened. And those are always the interesting ones because that's like the, the Friday night, 9 p.m. call. And it's like a family member is like, um, yeah, this is a situation we're in. And we, we, found your, we found your phone number in a bathroom in a case management office. <laughs> for, for a good time call atp healthcare right but here but here's the, the quandary that people find themselves in and it, it once again it's not something i think people think about because it's maybe you can tell me it's more common than i think it is but what happens when a hospital can't discharge a patient or what happens when a patient can't leave the hospital i mean there's a few different reasons i'm sure you can tell us some of those yeah. but i've never even thought about that you know i'm like oh well they can't leave because they're still sick well, but that's not always exactly it, right? So talk a little yeah. bit about that situation because that sounds like a nightmare, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it also does things to the patient because it makes the patient feel like like no, like nobody wants me and, and nobody right. there's nobody there. There's no support for me. And that's very, that's a very trouble, a difficult thing to kind of like deal with the process. And of course, that's going to affect your journey, your your care journey after that. Um, the, um, you know, it, so hospitals, are an, an acute institution. There's some hospitals that are swing bed and they can take you for long-term care or they have a nursing home that's par that's out there in a the parking lot and they can take you long-term care. But the vast majority of hospitals are acute care institutions, meaning that you do not want to be there for more than 20 days. Nothing good is going to happen at that point, right? You They, they need to get you out. You have every single infection known to man has ever existed. Every mistake in the world can happen. There, there's so much that's involved in it. it it's not where you want to be. And, and a lot of people have this idea that you're in a hospital. It's the safest place in the world. Far from it. It's absolutely far from it. I mean, there's every sharp object and drug known to man you know, in, these, in these institutions. And it's just not a safe, it's just not a safe place. Some there's too much risk of something bad happening. And the statistics show after 20 days, something bad's going to happen. So, Wow. Um, and, and so length of stay is something that hospitals pay attention to. And, and there's a correlation between lakes of stay and the, and especially in, in the, in the West, um, where we correlate length of stay with quality of care. Um, and, and, and it's basically, it's because of the idea that things should be moving along smoothly and we should be able to go X, Y, and Z and almost, you know, I don't want to use the term of like an assembly line, 
but it, it really kind of seems your flow and your processing and the communication yeah. hospital that these that, that your that your length of stay should be low. And so back um, you know, about 10 years ago, the average length of stay for a hospital was um like four and a quarter days, and, and now it's over five, right? It's been steadily creeping up. Um, patients are becoming much more complex and their clinical presentation to hospitals. There's also a lot of social determinants of health issues regarding um, patients. I think that would probably be, if you were to speak with a case manager, I think that would probably be the number one issue um, for uh, uh, that hospitals in their communities face is the social determinants of health. Um, you know, and, and you may say like, well, you know, I, I have company, I have insurance and stuff like that through my company. And, you know, and it pays for, pays for everything. It pays for everything after you meet the dedu deductible. And, and that deductible has probably been going up higher and higher um, for you. It, it's the idea that, um, you know, um, that they, they sell you a bigger, larger bag and there's still just as much air or more air in it than there was potato chips. Right. <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's the same size bag. Right? Yeah, it's same it, size yeah. bag that you always had, but it seems to weigh different. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and so... You know, and really on the, on the like on the direct primary care side, it's what makes it much more appealing is that um, as, a, as a clinician, uh, these clinicians are able to stay with their patients a lot more. They're not so much looking into their and and into their checklist of what they got to treat or do next and what they have to code for next. Um, and, and so that we we we. Yeah, we, we got we got a lot to that. So a lot of these social determinants of health issues are are very challenging. And then when a patient shows up, they're they're also, you know, they're sicker. Um and, and they're and they're older. Um, you know, before before COVID, uh the the plague in most hospitals was a 55-year-old white male on an anticoagulant, anti-diabetic, an opioid who's been divorced for 10 years. He's been couch surfing uh, most of that time, staying at friend's house, whichever, you know, whoever will put up with them for a while, because the ex-wife is done with it. And they are, um, they're not staying on with their insurance or their Medicaid or whichever, because they don't have that, you know, that, that steadiness of somebody organizing that in their life. And that guy would go to the ER, complain of chest pains, he had to be admitted uh, most, a lot of times. And, and then the hospital's like, well, what do we do with them? Because the, the case, I mean, the, the next wife is tired of, she's actually blocked our phone number, <laughs> you know? To the point, and you know, and, and all the friends are like, "Yeah, he can't stay with us anymore," um, and and that's you know that's very challenging. So you know, you, you come into situations where you know a hospital is like, um, you know, what what level do you feel comfortable with yourself? You know, like type deal. And that's a very that's a very difficult question. So we when we first got started, that was actually one of the first types of cases we were we were like kind of faced with. We had to address to say, you know, what works for that individual. You know, and, um, you know, and it's really is kind of like putting, getting somebody in place in that person's life that's going to help with getting that organization back together again. And and, and that's, that's been very successful uh, for, for that, that particular case is that, that that guy's still around, you know, it's like, he's still there, but, um, but he needs somebody to kind of like a system to a system and, and get, getting the services that he needs in life. Yeah, and and so yeah, clinical complexity, social determinants of health, those are definitely definitely the the, the ones that are leading to length of stay. Payer is also another issue. Um, the 
uh, insurance back and forth going saying, yeah, we're not going to pay for post-acute care at that level that the hospital is recommending. And, 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 you know, insurance gets, um, you know, may or may not be rightly so, but they get, they get beat up a lot for that. And the, the thing is though, the number of appeals that there are, that they, that a medical director is receiving, and, and it's not something that's in their wheelhouse, right? So let's say, let's say you have a, a guy who is 23 years of age. Um, he's driving home from work one day. He has a, he has a lawn business and, you know, he's self-insured and he gets uh, plowed into by a drunk driver, ends up with a TBI um, and uh, track brain injury, sorry. And, you know, he's, he's not doing too well, but the hospital does a really good job. And two weeks later, you know, he's able to follow commands and that sort of stuff. Um, and he's improving, but he's, he's starting to stabilize. So he's not an acute patient anymore. He's really, he's really a long-term, uh, long-term rehab patient. So he's not really, he really shouldn't be in a hospital anymore. He needs to be a long-term rehab facility. Um, you know, the, the insurance company, you know, they're, they're going to see car accident, TBI, um, non-responsive. And, and they're going to say, yeah, that's, 90% of the time, that's a denial because you have to be able to be able to communicate in order to do therapy and understand what's going on. Otherwise, we're just throwing bad money after good. But the reality is the patient's doing really, the, the patient's improving. It, they get so many that it they, they can't keep up with the amount of information, right? And so you get this medical director, a couple, you know, a couple of appeals later, you get to the medical director and and they're like a primary care physician that's trying to pick up a few hours maybe. You know, if it's like if they're doing this through Medicaid or, you know, if they're part of a commercial plan or something like that, then they're, they're usually this is their job. But they're, they're, again, they're still getting a couple hundred of these. There's no way in hell that they're getting up on all the details. Right. And so, you know, you have the, a face to face with a neurologist or whatever, and the neurologist saying, yeah, with the patient, the patient's doing much better. And still they're like, yeah, but it says back here that the, but that was like two or three weeks ago. <laughs> You know, so we see cases like that a lot. Um, you know, we'll go to we'll work with groups on third party. You know, go through the third party review process, and then you know, what steps do you have after that? We we've, we've seen that a, a few times, and it kind of just like played out like this is what's going to happen. And it's not the insurance company; they're not being the medical director, of the insurance company; they're not bad people. It's just there's just so much for them to go over. It, it's not possible. So, and. Yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of ramble a lot, but yeah, that's those are the issues that we really kind of see like a lot of, and I, you know, it can be kind of like terrifying. So you mentioned that there's been an increase in the time people stay in a hospital now, the average time. How much do you think that that actually is, I know this sounds crazy, kind of a positive, but it's a positive in the fact that so many more things are being done outpatient now that people are actually not being admitted for things that they were previously, right? So it's actually more serious conditions that put you in the hospital now because so many things, even like knee replacements, hip replacements, and uh, various different things. It, it's kind of crazy the things that they can do now. On the outpatient side, yeah. yeah. That, you know, used to require a hospital stay of a day or two. So that doesn't count anymore, right? That doesn't help bring the number down because there was never a hospital stay to begin with. Do you think you know, that so, has any impact here? That that's a really good point, and I and I would I would say that that's probably part of it. Um, you know, because that's you know, uh, central services in the hospital will tell you that you know that surgery is probably, especially those uh, elective ones, is probably pretty pretty important. 
um, when we were, you know, in the recession a few years back, um, one of the areas that we were looking at uh, with hospital systems to see like, you know, what the trends, what they were seeing the trends were being, was we were looking at central services and essential services was hiring uh, for their hospital system. So central services, they're the ones that do like all the, the garments, the, um, uh, the, you know, utens uh, utensils, devices, all that sort of stuff. They're the ones that kind of like process that, get that ready to go. And so if you have, if you're hiring people on there, then you're, then you're planning on booking and scheduling um, more of these surgeries. And we weren't seeing an uptick in those. Um, and, and so we are like, we are like, shit, this is going to be a while, you know, this is going to be a long time. Yeah. It's kind of like in construction, you know, when you go through a construction based recession, you kind of wait for the cranes to come down. Right. When the cranes come down, then you kind of like, oh, okay, now we've, now we've probably reached rock bottom. Um, and that, that's sort of like the same, sort of like the same thing. Yeah. And so I would go, going back to your question there, I would, I would probably say it has something to do with it. Um, the, but the, um, the amount that we're that we're talking about here, um, you know, the, the gain of over a day in length of stay is, is tremendous, and they they didn't quite have they didn't quite have that uh, to begin with. So, that one of the one of the benefits of doing this, you know, outpatient only is because we are getting more and more of our you know, population is of the age where they're going to require um, knee and hip surgeries, and um, and, and so it's just on, on bed on bed volume. You're going to want to be able to do that outside. And so a hospital will split the billing with a, with a surgical group, you know, for example. Um, but if the if census generated, that's going to be a challenge. So the uh, now on the other side of that, mm -hmm. so we talked about something that could have an impact on maybe skewing the number because more serious things are there. How much do you think, and you kind of mentioned this already, infections and other just bad things that happened have made that have had a part of that increase so you know you said that increase of a day that's that's pretty major well how much have potentially bad things that happened at the hospital you know we all hear the story yeah. well he was sick when he got there but he was a whole lot sicker after he got there because yeah. of these other things how how much of an impact does that have so we see a pay when we when we get a case packet for a patient or a family reaches out to us regarding a loved one and the patient's been there for at least 20 days, uh, there's a pretty much 100% guarantee that there has been an accident at some point along the way that has resulted in that patient being there longer than what they need to be. Now, if it's a hospital-inquired infection, um, that can range from anywhere from, from three or four days. It depends on how they respond to meropenorum or whatever medications that they're using um, to two weeks. Um, if there's a uh, a cardiovascular event uh, that takes place at the hospital, um, you know that we could be looking at something uh, much longer. And you know we we have a we have a case with an academic trauma center, the guy, um, and, and this wasn't any fault of the hospital. Um, the, the the guy wasn't able to make decisions anymore, and his guardian resigned. Uh, it's actually a durable power of attorney resigned. Um, so I would always say to make sure that your durable power attorney is somebody who has agreed <laughs> to hold that position for you. Oh, you, you, you can actually, you can assign anybody you want to. If you want to assign a president of the United States, you can say the president of the United States can be my durable power attorney. Whether or not they're actually going to do it. <laughs> it's, a it's a different story, right? I mean, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's right. the thing. And 
And so, you know, this individual, you know, they they thought they were going to put, you know, the right, you know, a certain person in there and the, and that person uh, didn't want to do it. And, and they were concerned about um, uh, being held liable um, for, for things. And, and usually there's, there's protections in uh, for, for durable power of attorney or individuals who hold those that are representing the rights of the patient uh, that they're not legally bound unless it's shown that they're um, acting in a way that um, would be um, mischievous, uh, I'm going to say. And so, um, you know, you know, I would say after 20 days, uh, you're nearly 100%. After 30 days, you are at 100%. There's, uh, it's just too much. There's multiple shift changes. There's, you know, there's, you have different staff. You have three day, you have three on, four off. You have, um, you're switching between hospitalists and then weekend, weekend hospitalists. And then you have a, you know, you have case managers that are Monday through Friday. And then you have weekend case managers who are just trying to keep up with what's going on with the ER over the weekend. I mean, there's just too much, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, something's going to happen. We saw one time, it was just, <laughs> and, and then it was like a mechanical issue. We got called in for a hospital one time where the bed, um, literally flung and, and flipped the patient into the wall. Like I'm like, I'm trying to think like I'm like thinking like 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 a like a trap or a release or something like that. And they're like they're like basically I've and, seen that on a cartoon before, but I don't yeah, know. I know that, yeah, I know, yeah. Like what's well, happening in real like, life, right? <laughs> your Acme bed company? Who are they who is this? You know? Yeah. I mean and now we have now we have a a, a patient with a, a rather severe uh, neck and back injury now. Yeah. Just, what the Oh my gosh! So I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate ever seeing that ever again. Um, but I mean, that that was that was crazy. But yeah, that stuff happens. Wow. That just, wow. You know, and and you know, it, it, most of the time we're you know, it, it, it's it, so we have these issues, clinical complexity. We also have you know, social determinants of health. Uh, we have uh, of course payer issues. Um, but then on the post acute care side. Um, you got to make sure that you're going to get paid for the services, right? Uh, you got to make sure that you're not putting your current residents in danger or the families that visit the current residents in danger. Um, uh, th those things have to be clear. And also, you have to make sure that you can, you know, handle that patient, uh, that you are clinically cl equipped to handle that patient. And and that can be that can be challenging, especially if you have a high turnover rate in staffing. Um, you know, and that that's 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 a challenge that a lot of post acute care providers face. Uh, as well, uh, so we'll work with the post acute care providers to make sure that uh, that they are going to get paid for their services. Um, usually, it's like a letter of agreement for some of these more complex patients uh, with the insurance company because uh, you know they say, "Yeah, we 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 gave you prior authorization, but you know, it shows turns out the patient wasn't that sick, so we're not going to pay for all that sort of stuff." It's like, <laughs> "Yeah, we, we just dumped sixty thousand dollars into the care for this patient that you're now saying that well, the patient wasn't that bad." Um, yeah, that, that's that's not going to fly, you know. Right, and and you know, in in this case, it, we we talked about this a little before. You're saying the patient wasn't that bad, and the reality is, well, the patient's not that bad now because yeah. we did a good job. <laughs> yeah. right? We, we yeah. not be that bad. You yeah. <laughs> should have saw that when he got here, right? Yeah, you should have saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, that's that's a fun one. And one thing that people don't quite realize that hospitals will do is they'll um, probably shouldn't say this too loud, um, <laughs> but yeah, hospitals will contract with facilities and say, "Hey, 
um, you know, you know, tell us, tell us what a daily rate, what it's going to cost to take care of this patient. And, and we're, we're going to do it because there's a hospital metric, right? And, and, and so if it's a trauma center, that hospital has to make a certain amount of money on that bed, right? If it's a general acute care hospital, that number is obviously going to be a little bit lower, but there is a certain number that they got to make. So uh, if that patient's just sitting in there, it's, you know, it's five to $600 just for them to turn on the lights. You know, I mean, there's, there's landscaping, there's, you know, electricity, there's staff, there's all those things that they have to put into those numbers. And so at some point it becomes, you know, you don't want the patient in there anymore. You want to make sure the patient's getting the care that they deserve. You can't give that care there. Um, contract with a post-acute care provider and, and say, okay, we're going to pay you XX numbers dollars of dollars for room and board. We're going to pay for therapy and we're going to pay for the medications. Um, you're going to send us the therapy notes, make sure that you're doing it. And, and your contracts will be good for, you know, 10 days, 20 days or 90 days, whatever it may be. And, uh, you know, and th they'll do that. You know, it's just. So it's, we, we've talked quite a bit about the, some of the hospital situations there, but let's kind of focus back on individuals and families in particular. Yeah. And when someone, you know, I, I personally believe that when you've got someone that's going into the hospital, the last thing on your mind right then is what's going to happen afterwards. Right? Yep. You're so focused on getting them in there and getting them fixed, getting them right, getting them well, whatever that is. Then in most cases, I won't, I won't say at all the time, there's obviously some injuries and stuff that happen where you know life's not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. But in most cases, your hope is that it will be. At some level, it'll be the same as it was before, right? They're going to get well, regardless of what it was. They're going to get well enough that things are going to be the same. Mm -hmm. But the chances are it's not. The chances are there's going to be some level of post-acute care needed that are not just go home and go to work on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. So uh what are some good tips for family members and for individuals to think about that process, things that you need to know before you go to the hospital to know what's going to happen and how to start planning for after you leave the hospital. Well, the first one is advanced directives. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. All right. This is what I want done. Okay. Right. We, we, we have it written down. The thing is advanced directives. You can write in pencil. You can, it, it, you can, you can change your mind. You can say you know, the, 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 the facts change and this is what I want now. Like type deal. So, um, you know, I have a, a friend of mine who, you know, uh, grew up uh, with animals and he you know, hunted and that sort of stuff. And I've entrusted him with my advanced directives, <laughs> right? Is I want somebody to sit there and, you know, and say, yeah, okay, that's, that, that, that's good. You know, you know, like type deal. Like, I love my wife to death, but I don't know if she could, you know, could sit there and say it, you know, type, you know, so we're, we're we want to start off with that. Um, but then we also want to work, you know, work towards, you know, getting you back better. So we we know what we want at the end um, if things go bad uh, so that we don't have to worry about that now. Now, um, how is it going to, how is something going to get paid for and who's going to do the care? So you're, depending on what type of insurance that you have, um, we'll just go through, because it's popular right now, we'll just go with, through with a managed Medicare plan. Um, your physician may be part of a managed Medicare group. Um, they may be a physician member or part owner for that area. 
And so let's say you have uh, type two diabetes and you have some heart issues. So the, the federal government says to manage this patient, we're gonna give the insurer and the physician group here a lump sum of money to take care of this patient, right? That's what you're gonna get for the next few years. And um, the physician will sit there and say, okay, now the physician's group is the one that's in charge of managing your care um, and, and making sure you stay out of the hospital because the hospital is gonna be pretty expensive. Um, yeah. The hospital is gonna burn through that amount of money real quick. So they're going to ask you to jump through some hoops and check, you know, check the boxes and that sort of stuff. Um, when you get into, if you get into a situation where you end up going to the hospital, um, you get discharged and, and they're starting to look for a post-acute care placement for you, I should say, you know, for discharge, there's facilities that are going to be in your network. So you need to contact those facilities ahead of time, those post-acute care providers ahead of time and say, are you actually truly in network? And is this, and do you currently accept patients with that insurance? Because the rate that the insurance company may be typically paying for that facility may not be matching what is required for that patient's level of care um, or care in general. So um, most skilled nursing facilities will run a Medicare census and they'll also run a managed Medicare census, depending on the type of managed Medicare it is. And then they have a long-term care or Medicaid census also. So they'll they'll break it down and, and, and some commercial. And, and so they'll break it down based upon that because, um, you know, at typically Medicare pays $600 a day, roughly plus or minus in some areas on average for care for patients in a skilled nursing facility, much like the prison rate we were talking about before. Um, but managed Medicare is going to pay less than that. Um, and there, and with Medicare, you have between 20 and 100 days. Uh, 80 of those days are gonna be with a copay, of course. Managed Medicare, there's no copay, which is great. And you have this management that's taking care, that's helping take care of you but you're probably most likely not going to be there for a full 100 days. You're most likely going to be there between like 8 and 14. Um, and that's that's because the physician or the, or, or the managed Medicare group is saying, hey, you're doing very well. Um, let's go ahead and send you home with home health or let's, um, let, let's you know, you're, you're not doing quite well enough. Well, so home health may be the answer for you to help you improve more, right? So that's usually what you what you see now. Um, that also helps the providers, um, A, save money for later for your care or, um, you know, because your chances are if you've been to the hospital once, you're probably going to be going to the hospital again, um, most likely within the next six months. So they, they need that little cushion. So you have, um, you only have so much money in that, in that pot. The, the other, so you want to be aware of whether or not that those post-acute care providers accept that insurance, which can be kind of a difficult subject for people to talk about, but I think we're getting a little more open about that. They may they may say we have a ton of providers in the network, but you need to actually make sure that that those facilities are accepting patients under that under that care. Uh, that that's usually pretty key, and and there could be a number of issues on there. We we've, we've done a whole host of times where we just say hey. Um, managed Medicare company, we have an accepting pay, accepting facility, but they have some concerns and it's on the payer side. 
And then the insurance company is like, oh shit, or bad. We'll we'll make sure they get paid, or we'll we'll even heck, we'll even go ahead and say this is this is your amount right now, <laughs> you know, like type deal. They're they're actually they're um they're they're pretty good about that. But it's just very difficult for everyone to kind of like keep up on what's needed. And if you're and if you're a skilled nursing provider, that it, it's it, you should be paying attention to this, but you're probably not. It's probably not the, the the top thing on your list of what you're paying attention to right now, and so you know it, it's not because anybody's trying to do a bad job or be mean. It's just that they're just not getting to it. And say, hey, the, the rate that you guys are paying for this service, it just doesn't match the reality of what's what it costs us. So sorry, that's um, um so you want it, you want to check on on that to make sure that uh, those providers that you're going to want to use are actually accepting. Um, not just in network, but also accepting individuals with that with that plan, and just call okay. and say, "Hey, my my you know my 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 wife's in the hospital. Um, we're looking at you know post acute care options. She doesn't have to be in the hospital. They don't need to know. <laughs> you know, it's like and that's that's a good that's a good way. Yeah, I, I cannot stress how important what you just said is, and I have been through this multiple times with clients where. They said, well, I got online and I looked and it shows that place is in network. That oh, hell, I see, I see that a lot of time. <laughs> that's a great place to start. Great place to start. Yeah, it is. Now, you can, now you can develop the list of people to call. Okay. Because there's a couple of things that are going to happen there. Number one is what, what you just said. Are they still in network? Okay. Are they still in network? And because they make it so difficult, were they ever in network? Are you even looking for the right plan, or did or did you have a you know a United Healthcare plan and you just looked for United Healthcare, but it it wasn't what your plan was, right? Because you didn't know how to look for the right thing. Uh, maybe they were covered on commercial plans, but not on Medicare Advantage, or vice versa. Or you have an individual plan, not either one of those other things, and you're looking in th this other network, or maybe you're on an HMO, not a PPO, and you're looking on the right. PPO network. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever, or you got in the EPO network. Wait, an EPO? What the heck is that? Exactly. So, you know, uh, or maybe you're in the POS, which some people think all of them are POS. So let's just uh, that right here. I feel like that one sometimes. <laughs> I've been told I'm in that one. <laughs> but my, my, my point there is that there's, you know, there's a few takeaways that you've got to be sure, number one, they're in the network. That's only going to be decided if you make that phone call, not if you just look it up. Uh, you got to make that phone call. Number two, are they accepting patients? Do they have any beds? Because yeah. maybe they are accepting new patients, but not today or not tomorrow because all their beds are full. Yeah. That can be a big deal too. And also something you said, what are you coming in for? Maybe they have new beds, but not for what the concern is, not for what is needed by your loved one. Yeah. They may not have beds available for that. That can be a big deal too. But you also gave me some very, very good advice whenever we were talking beforehand on situations where maybe you're having a very difficult time. Maybe you've got all the approvals, you have everything that you need, you actually found a location, but you just can't get in it for some reason. There's something going on. And you told me a very valuable piece of information, and that is it's time to get the doctor involved. So talk a little bit more about that as well, Timothy, because I thought that was that was really important. And it's a step that we missed. It's yes. a step that we missed uh, in, in the last few months whenever I had a family member that was looking for that post-acute care and we just couldn't get anyone to take him, but we missed this vital step. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna count sound like I'm gonna be speaking negatively of some people um, or a lot of people, and I, and I do apologize. Uh, I I just try to state like how facts are. Um, so especially if you're seeking post acute care, the post acute care you know admissions person for a skilled nursing facility or sometimes you know, not so much for home health because they're usually commission based, but for a skilled nursing facility, um, they're going to receive anywhere from 150 to 200 case packets a day. And these case packets are about 100 pages to 200 pages long. Uh, so they are going to be basically um, looking at, is a payer in place? Is a person a registered sex offender? Um, what happened to brought that patient into the hospital? And, and are they on any expensive medications? And they're just skimming through the MAR, um, looking for anything that looks somewhat expensive that's on their cheat sheet over here on the right that says do not accept if they're on these things or, or if they're on Haldol or something like that that indicates that there's behaviors. Um, but, uh, and, and they're also looking for like keywords like vent and dialysis and, um, you know, uh, you know, code gray or whatever it may be. Um, and and they'll, they'll look for those types of items in there too. And and so, you know, when when I see like, you know, there's something major, like a major trauma, you have 200 cases in front of you. Um, are you going to take the major trauma patient or you are you going to take the 87-year-old grandmother who um, fell and hurt her knee? Like you're going to take the trauma patient. I mean, I'm sorry. You're going to, you're going to take the 87 year old grandma that hurt her knee, um, and you're going to pass on that trauma patient because uh, there's probably a lot going on there. It's probably respiratory that's involved. Um, we're not quite ready for you know using vents. We could probably you know do a trach or something, like that, but we can't do a vent right now. We don't have the airflow or whatever it may be or the training, and and so it doesn't doesn't even get up the food chain. Then case management will reach out to the to the facility and say, "Hey, wait, you took a patient similar to this a few months back. Let me talk to the DON." And and so the case manager, or the social worker, or RN, they'll talk to the DON, director of nursing. Usually, I mean, she's a nurse or he's a nurse, and and they'll go back and forth and they'll discuss, and that becomes a little bit sort of like a, um, you know, uh, whose license is better type of uh, type of standoff sometimes. You know, it's, a, it's a turf battle because you're like, this is another nurse or a social worker telling me how to do my job. Um, that doesn't always go too well. And so what sometimes you end up resulting to is, you know, the uh, a conversation with a physician that's in charge or a hospitalist that's, a, that's overseeing that patient. When actuality is the case manager who is actually running the show. <laughs> so the case manager is like, like if you think of like the patient care as a, as a, as a movie, um, obviously, the patient is the star of the movie. Uh, the The case manager is definitely the producer. Uh, the hospitalist is probably the director or something like that. You know, right? And so, um, really, they should be listening to the case manager, but they'll they'll talk to the physician. That but that physician can sit there and say how that patient is clinically presenting to to that nurse. And then, generally, uh, we haven't had a situation in which the nurse has said no. Uh, on that, it's 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 going to happen once they agree to that conversation, and and really they're you know it's they're they're looking for cl clinician to clinician because they still see that doctor as being a clinician. They don't see the case manager as being a clinician anymore. They see that that person as being an administrator, but as a clinician telling them this is why the patient's presenting and this is what the what you can do for that patient, and that's like and and that's pulled through. But the thing is, that's actually kind of good on that. They're on the same page. 
and they understand what the expectation is, what, you know, what, what's a, what does a good job look like in this case? Right. And, and, and they, and now they're, you know, they're, they're going to get it. We, we generally have some pretty good results on that as far as care goes. It shouldn't have to get to that situation, but when it does, that's, that's typically what we want to do. Um, so you want to, you want the hospitalist um, who's very familiar with that patient who's been working on the patient most recently or longest time. You don't want, you don't want the weekend hospitalist doing that. Right. <laughs> no, that, and I think that's just so important that there, there are times when, as the old saying goes, you got to bring out the big guns, right? Yeah. And and that's that's what you got to do in some cases. That you cannot be afraid to do it. You cannot be afraid once again to make those calls to make sure you're you're going to get that individual the best care. And if you if you reach some stone walls, then it's time to take other actions. But then there's the there's the other side of it, right? People can actually engage with a company such as yourself. And you guys just kind of help through that process, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just tell people I kind of wish that our company didn't exist. Um, it, it's not. It's not a good sign. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Right, right. You wish you didn't. Really isn't. Um, right. You wish you didn't have to do what you do because you wish it was just an easier system for people to get the care that they need. Yeah, and 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 there are things I'd rather rather do, um, but. Um, so I, I tell people, it's like, so I'm passionate about it. Um, but it's like, it's, it, it's more like, um, uh, like almost like you want to strangle somebody type of passion. <laughs> 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 so I will tell you, if you, um, you probably picked up on this on the, on the call. Um, I am not someone that you put on speakerphone. Um, yeah, it's that kind of passion, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the volume is down low and that's good. It's close to your ear. Um, because yeah, it's really it's really sort of messed up, uh, and and it, it's you know with, with, especially with families because you know they they get a lot of um, very um, misleading information. Medicare isn't going to pay for this, right? It'll pay for some of it, but if you need like long term, you need something that's going to be you know for a long period of time. Anything that anything that involves room and board, or anything that involves um, you know keeping you at home and non-skilled care uh, that's going to be covered through Medicaid or, or, or supplemental insurances. Um, it's not going to be, it's not going to be covered by Medicare. And a lot of times people think that, Oh, well, we just go get a, a, a CNA to give us 24 hour care under Medicare. No, it's never happened and it never will, <laughs> you know, it's like this. I mean, and so people have a really have a, um, they, they don't understand how, how it's going to all get paid for. And, and so, you know, Medicare isn't for necessarily like, you know, lazy people. It's for, it's for like 95% of us. Um, <laughs> the vast, the vast majority of Americans can qualify for Medicaid um, or, or are going to require it at some point in their life. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's mind boggling at the, the numbers. So, um, so I, I, you know, that, that's sort of like an area that people don't quite, quite understand on on it um we we had a um we had an interesting client um one time the hospital called up and and they're not far from where i live and i like i like i like i know them like you know like personally you know that type deal and they're like we got a case um you know this is what's going on and um you know the patient had a uh severe uh lung issue 
a pulmonary fibrosis. So it's uh, it basically you're, you you have uh, fibers that are basically growing around your lungs and make this constricting you, is making it more and more difficult to breathe. Uh, life expectancy for a patient once diagnosed with it is about five years. Um, it's it's terminal. It's a terminal diagnosis. Um, and uh, they had this patient in ICU. And uh, uh, this individual was, um, uh, you know, they worked um, for state government uh, at a pretty high level. And and the family was like, what do you, like, what do you mean there's no options for this patient? Because we did a search. We did a you know, placement search. We knew there wasn't, um, you know, especially at that high flow oxygen rate, like 60 liters. So that's 60 liters of pressure to keep the lungs open. Not that you're breathing that in. That's just to keep your lungs open so that your lungs don't collapse and and you don't suffocate, right? It's not that you're breathing 60 liters of oxygen. <laughs> you know, so he's very sick, very, very sick. And and they were like, what do you mean there's no facilities that can that can take him in the state of Florida? And um because I was like, Bill, there there are a couple. Uh, but you're looking at anywhere from six months to a year waiting list to get in there. Um, and the, I said the closest the closest facility is actually a swing bed facility in Georgia, um, who we've worked with before. They do an exceptional amount of good work. Um, they're they're pretty well they're pretty well known. And it was actually the hospital that actually recommended to pick a patient to there. I was like, so that would be my my total was like that would probably be like my first recommendation. Then you're looking at uh, a university system such as you know UT uh, Texas, uh, where they have you know specialists for this for this condition. They might be able to work with them on on a long term uh, solution. But the really the long term solution we're talking about here is is probably closer to what the physicians are saying. You know, weeks you know, to two months, right? I mean, that's that's basically what we're looking at here. And so, and then you're looking at Rochester as the other. Um, the the other option, and they were they were pretty irate, and you know, was, you know, and I, I understandably so. So, sure. um, but but people have to kind of understand it. it's like um, there, you know, if if you're if if the reimbursement rate isn't there um, to you know two hundred seventeen dollars to two hundred eighty dollars is what your typical skilled nursing facility gets reimbursed for a patient on event. Um, and that's after after Medicare is done. Uh, these are Medicare is only going to pay if the person's getting act, actual active therapy, and then uh, then it's Medicaid's the payer. Um, two hundred seventeen or two hundred eighty dollars, whichever it may be, that is not even going to cover the medications, let alone the respiratory therapists, uh, the pulmonologists, anybody else that's going to be coming in and seeing uh, seeing a loved one. Uh, so, and that's not just a case in in you know and in the south but that's we find that a lot uh, throughout the united states not so much in the northeast um, northeast is a little bit more funding on that side but we we definitely see that definitely see that in the south and um you know that makes things very very challenging uh, people don't quite, under, quite understand that it's like um th those systems they cost a lot of money <laughs> you know so that it makes that makes things challenging so you have to you have to balance that so if you're going to take so if you're gonna you know take a, a event dependent patient who's not gonna be coming off of it, uh, you 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 need to have a couple Medicare's on the other side to balance it out. So, and that sounds terrible because you're you're balancing out. So they're not getting the full benefit on their Medicare benefit what they need. 
to supplement for that other patient. And that happens. That happens a lot. Yeah, and I, I've actually explained this to people the best that I can, that you know, this is one of the reasons why you see differences in pricing, right? You see a hospital with the same exact procedure or the same exact whatever treatments cost different prices depending on the insurance. And it can be the same insurance company, right? Same exact insurance company, but if it's a Medicare patient, the pricing is typically much less well, than a commercial plan or an individual plan. But it's the give and take, right? We yeah. gotta we gotta make it up somewhere. And yeah. so is that fair? I'm not gonna answer that question because well, I've got an opinion on it. I, I think that there's a much better way they could do it, but no one asked me, Timothy. So you know, I'm just yeah. gonna uh, but th that is what it is. It is truly the give and take. So on a on a commercial plan, uh as an employer, why why are you paying the insurance? Right? Because you have an investment in that employee and you need that person to return to work quickly. Right. So commercial insurance is basically saying, you know, you're, you're given a, a golden ticket to say, I need to, I need this person back and working, not back to their house, but back and working as soon as possible. And, you know, so the hospitals, I mean, the hospital is going to say, uh, okay, like, yeah, we, we can, we can do that. We got to check to make sure that everything else is running perfectly before we're going to make sure this person's back and, and, and able to go. Um, Medicare is definitely for a population that, you know, typically isn't working. Um, if you're applying for Medicare, if you're a Medicare beneficiary uh, under the age of 65, it's usually because you have a, um, you, you've had social security disability approved and you've had it for at least two years. Right. Yeah. Or so it, it, it's or a different quickly because you had a uh, kidney, kidney failure, you yeah, had ALS failure. or something yeah. like that. Right. You're sick. I mean, there's a problem, <laughs> yeah. right? You're sick. Yeah. You're clearly got a problem. Okay, you bring up you bring up uh, renal failure on on that, and and uh, the, we can talk about Davida all day long on that one. <laughs> yeah. I bet I bet that is a very interesting placement situation because you even brought it up when you said here's the 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 nursing this the skilled nursing facility looking at the what's going to be needed when they see dialysis they're they're probably trying to run the other direction right. A lot of times, um, you know, for so. You know, or had it funded. I guess depending on how it's funded, they may want that person. <laughs> they may they may want to do it if they have the ability to do it in-house. Um it's very it's a very expensive startup cost for a lot of dialysis uh, groups that will groups that will do dialysis in a skilled nursing facility. Um there's there's a several business models that are um improving that and that they are, you know, they're basically saying, okay, we'll, we'll do a new MPI. We'll be able to do dialysis for several year residents in-house, but we're also going to do a contract with the hospital and be able to zip line them over, um, basically for patients that, you know, are no longer um, are approved by Fresenius or DeVita for missing appointments or whatever it may be, or clinical complexity. Because if you think of the patients requiring skilled nursing, they're, 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 they're probably a little bit more challenging now. And, and so, so Davida, um, you know, they, you know, I do beat, I'm not beating them up or anything, but you know, they're a lot of their brick and mortars were, were, you know, focused on commercial insurance. They could, you know, they get these people of dialysis, commercial insurance, and you're going to go back, you're, and you're going to go back to work next day or, or very, or very soon. Um, and so we're looking at, you know, three days of treatment or whichever it may be. And, and that's going to be covered by the commercial insurance. Um, but if it's end-stage renal disease, um, you know, the, the you know, basically the courts ruled that uh, that's a Medicare benefit and that could be covered by Medicare, which is a slightly different reimbursement rate. 
Sure. Right. <laughs> and and that make that makes things like okay, so um, you know, we we you know, where commercial insurance was helping us on the front end to kind of like handle some of these more complex patients, these patients that are required, you know, a Hoyer lift or whatever it may be, they're coming from a nursing home. Um, now we can't assist with those patients anymore. And if the nursing home wants to work with us, the nursing home is going to have to send their own people. The nursing home will start for staff also. So that makes things very, very challenging on that, on that side. And, and so you see, you see uh, provider groups um, now popping up that will do either mobile dialysis in a van and they'll just pull up. Uh, you've seen that <laughs> um, to other groups that are um, basically uh, uh, taking a couple beds or a couple rooms from a skilled nursing provider and say, okay, we're going to make these as a dialysis, your dialysis center. And we're going to lease this out from you. And we're going to, and we're, we're going to set up a new NPI and, and split the billing with you. And, and that, and that's, um, you know, and that's, that's going to set back. Um, that's surely you could say about a hundred thousand dollars for your setup. Um, half of that is equipment. Um, but that's, you know, that, that's a direction I think has been, been pretty popular uh, for uh, for uh, post-acute care operators. They're looking at that model a little bit more and more. Yeah. So let, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, a kind of an interesting thing that you had brought up. And that is y'all have had a number of situations where patients that were going to be released from the hospital needed to find a place, but they were over 600 pounds. Yes. So that brings a whole different dynamic to this and obviously a whole lot of different complexities. So talk yeah. a little bit about, you know, kind of that uh, you, you had one and then all of a sudden it kind of morphed into a number of them. You're like, yeah. well, what's going on here? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of, you know, we go back to the discussion we had on surgeries, right? So if you're not getting that, you know, that, that, you know, that the stomach staple or whatever, you know, surgery it is because, um, they're not scheduling surgeries due to COVID. Um, you know, we had a lot of patients who, you know, they're not getting that, that, that really needed it. And then they weren't getting that uh, surgery done. And so we went from, you know, in 2019, we had one case that we worked on that was a patient that was over 600 pounds. Um, and we, we got in place. And then um, by, by, 20, uh, by 2022, we had for the, the same area coverage, we had uh, 24 24 was the number. Yeah. So it was like every other, almost every other week we were getting another case of a, a patient over 600 pounds um, that was requiring. And, and again, it's because their surgery had been canceled, whatever it may be, to the point that we were um, talking with operators about, um, you know, uh, you, you're, you're going to want to put in a wing uh, for this and, and, and you're going to, you're going to split the cost with the hospital or you're going to split the cost with an insurance company because insurance companies were paying, um, in one case, we had um, an insurance company paying $1,100 a day um, for, for a patient uh, because those, you know, it's horror lifts. Uh, and and what, the, what the operator was doing, what we recommended they do, um, was uh, the, to basically, uh, as they were generating a new bariatric unit, uh, bring, bring your PT to the rooms. Uh, don't have the patient transition to PT, bring the PT to the rooms. Um, all the equipment is in those rooms. If you had, because uh, the building in particular, um, they, they had, originally they had quads, right? So this is a building that was like built back in the 70s. 
they have quads, four to a room. You know, you can't really do that anymore, right? So, um, and plus patients are bariatric. So you're going to throw out two of those beds, probably even three of those beds, and you're going to put in equipment in there uh, so that you don't have to transfer the patient uh, nearly as much. If you get to the patients at edge of bed, you're you're ready to go. And so um, they they set up their their rooms like that. And and um, yeah, the uh, uh, it was over in, it was over in South Carolina. And in a hot minute, they had that they had that building full. Um, I I, don't, I think the insurance company was actually working with them directly. <laughs> didn't even didn't even use us anymore after that. <laughs> 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 it was like who, who, new phone. Who's this? <laughs> like this hang up. <laughs> Yeah, after a little, after the, uh, the 10th or 15th one or whatever, they're like, okay, we don't even need to talk yeah, about Yeah, we know where the patient's going. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like $1,100 a day. So if you go back to what we were talking about before, you know, Medicare high-end reimbursement for Medicare was like $600 a day. Um, and so if you're able to get $1,100 a day, you know, on that bed, um, you know, that's not a bad day. Right. And so um, the, the, the transportation costs, the transportation was an interesting issue on that because um, on, on some of those cases, because most of your most of your uh, ambulance beds are certified rated to 750 pounds. And uh, I guess for insurance reasons, they don't really want to get close to that. Um, sure. 700 is about what they will max um, what they will feel comfortable with. And so you know, that that's a that's a challenge. Um, that was a challenge too to find an ambulance provider uh, for some of these cases in which they could which they could take somebody that was over over that. Um, oh yeah, I can see that. Once again, there's a liability there, right? Uh, even yeah. if your bed says that it can do that, that's a like I'm going to go zip lining, and the maximum weight is 250 pounds, but I weigh 245. I mean, think about it. Yeah, Let's just pause on that one, okay? So yeah, our this time. Yeah, well, the the one case that we had uh, that was before 2019 of the 600 pound individual, um, that patient actually originally started off about 350 pounds. Um, they were a four person transfer uh, for a medical appointment. Uh, they were being moved from their apartment, and uh, the um, ambulance team um, didn't wait for their for the other crew. And they and they took the patient and they dropped her, and so she went from three fifty to six hundred just based upon steroids and painkillers because she like she she crushed vertebrae, right? I mean, it was just like uh, it, it was that was a bad day, and so uh, then and then we're getting called. Can we can we assist with that patient? So yeah, it's it's yeah it's it's no joke, serious issue. Um, you know, her um, her fiance stuck with her like the entire time. Bless his heart, he was a good guy. Wow. I, so obviously that's just a bad situation that got worse because got much worse. Of, yeah. Yeah, because the, the the correct care wasn't given yeah. at the at this one time and obviously then it just exploded into a whole other issue. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah and, it, and it led to other issues because uh, that was the only medical transport provider that was contracted in that area. And and of course we're we're having to transport her now to someplace else and and they can't do it so we had to we had to work around that so hmm. uh, the hospital was good about that though <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's <laughs> like it's like all we need to know is what size what size you know gurney do we need and we'll just we'll just load them up yeah. You know? 
But what other challenges that we haven't addressed can folks anticipate? I mean, you, you don't, and when I say that, kind of the worst case scenario test, I think a lot of the things that you can anticipate, we've talked a lot about those, but what are some of the other kind of outliers that you've seen or other situations that, you know, if this, then you need to look for that. And if this, maybe you need to look at that. And, you know, maybe those are the things that you just really have to address as they come up. And I'm sure that y'all have done other ones, but they may be so infrequent that it's just not something to even, you know, put out there. Yeah. Um, I I would be, you know, like I said, uh, be aware of the providers um, first and foremost, but, um, you know, there's, there's no possible way that you can be ready for any, you know, circumstance or all the circumstances. Think about like after 9-11, right? Um, you know, everybody was spitballing ideas about what the next terrorist attack was going to be. And you quickly find out it's pretty much impossible to correctly identify what the next attack was going to be, if there was going to be one, right? Um, there, there's just, there's too many, there's there's too many things. So what you really need to put in place is, okay, what's our general culture or concept of what we're going to try to accomplish and, and what's our limits uh, for for each level, right? So um, if, if you know you know set it, by setting limits, you can you know you can correctly you, you can get the proper expectations of what what level of care or what level of recovery you can anticipate, right? So you know and that, and that's really kind of starts again off with the sort of like the advanced directives. Um, but also being aware of what the providers in your area can uh, are actually a network, and also knowing what they can do. Um, not many of your providers uh, can do vent dialysis, even for a short time. Um, you know, and you know if you're if you think if you're a family, if you're thinking about your children, um, the number of pediatric facilities is very low. Um, but and, and to the to the point that we really don't even work too much on pediatrics because um, they're pretty much known across the nation like who who they are, <laughs> you know, and that, that's I mean, which is good and bad, right? I mean, it definitely yeah. shows that it's probably need in that area, but um, we we all have a pretty good idea for you know, what it is, um, and so but like I've like at least have like a decent I- idea of like what you know conceptually what you can do or, or what your limits what your limits are. Because uh, it's it's very difficult again to sort of like anticipate everything that could possibly happen. No, well, that's exactly right, and I think you gave us some great tips on some general overall things you can do with the with the first one. You know, making sure that the what you want, your wishes, are out there that they're well known and they are documented. Uh, because of exactly what you said, I mean, you know, I, I'm. I've seen it. I've heard it from family members, from friends, from clients, and uh, things that didn't go the way that you may have felt that person really wanted. But because there was nothing in writing and there was nothing there, then there are people making decisions that are in the worst position of their lives to make this position, quite honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's um, a couple of hospitals nearby. And as I, Years, years ago, actually, to the extreme measure, I told a couple of the ICU nurses, it's like, listen, it's not looking that good. Just, you know, 
<laughs> just you know oops <laughs> like i mean really i mean just just let it just let, let me go like it off you know that's fine you know this but like i said you, you want you want those to be known um yeah and 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 then everything else you want to know what's available and then how is it going to get paid for yeah. so are this so this is so this kind of puts you into uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple other things here um there is an entire health industry that exists in the united states and doesn't exist anywhere else in the world and it's called the ltac it's a long-term acute care hospital i don't think it exists anywhere else in the world but um, and basically, these are patients who are ICU appropriate, um, but, you know, for a lot of these cases or patients, and there's a lot of patients that make re phenomenal recovery in the LTAC, but again, hospital is acute, LTAC is long-term. So it's long-term acute care hospital, right? Your general hospitals are just short-term acute care hospitals. Right. So LTACs, you know, it's the Russian nesting doll of healthcare. They're usually in another hospital. And uh, it's basically as another ICU, and um, you know, for a lot of for a lot of the patients there, it's for families who haven't had a reasonable conversation of what quality of life is all about, all right? Because if you're in an LTAC, it ain't looking good. It's tough. Now, there's a good percentage of people who make it out of LTACs, but um, when you compare a well-equipped skilled nursing facility and an LTAC. Their numbers are identical, right? Yeah. So you know, we we see this in the Midwest. So you know, northern Texas, go up north to straight north to 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 the Canadian border. Um, there's very few LTACs in that area. It's, it's predominantly skilled nursing facilities. Is going to be your major, major post acute care provider, and and they're pulling the same numbers that LTACs do. So New York State, there's no more LTACs. New Jersey, I think they got. I think they're. I don't think they have any more either, right? And so, you know, in the Northeast, um, there's, there's a lot of good healthcare up there in the Northeast. There's a lot of really good healthcare up there, okay? <laughs> and if LTACs aren't making it up there, um, that really kind of, you know, because skilled nursing facilities can can take up what they can't do. And um, that's, so it, like I said, it's, it's, it's an industry that exists right now that's primarily for individuals who, really don't have had a clear conversation or discussion about what someone's intentions or, or wishes are. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of, a lot of challenges right now. And so, um, you know, I, I, I kind of like, I, I never have a good, the, the, the healthcare discussions I have are never like all rosy and happy and stuff like that. You know, it's not, it's just not, you know, well, but but it's the reality of it, right? And, and you know, one of the things I want to point out too is we all, when we're with someone who's in the hospital, we always want to have the impression that, that, that things are going to work out good and that you know they're going to be just fine. But there's really nothing wrong with planning for if right. things if there, if there are things that don't go well, what are we going to do? So even if you're in the midst of a hospital stay mm -hmm. with a loved one with 
friends, family, whatever. Maybe you have, maybe it's a friend that you have been kind of put in charge of helping through a situation, uh, a, a church member or somebody that you're you're walking through this because maybe you're the one that has the best knowledge. Maybe your knowledge was listening to this podcast and that puts you ahead of the game, right? <laughs> That's the case. Nothing wrong with making a plan. Right. In fact, everything is right with making a plan. The worst part, the, the, the worst case scenario then is you didn't have to use it because everything went better than expected and they didn't need that care. But what yeah. if they do? Having yeah. that plan in place to help them in that transition to that post-acute care can do nothing but benefit them in the long run, can still help them reach that goal of getting back to a normal life. Because if they don't get that care that they need, that post-acute care, there may be no chance of them ever getting back to that yeah. situation. So don't feel bad about making plans. Don't think you're being a negative Nelly. Don't think that, oh, you know, it's no. going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I start doing all this stuff, that's what's going to happen. That is simply not true. You're planning it's, and there is nothing but good that can happen from planning. Yeah, it's like it's like people like um back in the day when they would, you know, whenever they talk about a disease, like they'll say cancer, but it's like cancer, you know, it's like yeah. <laughs> they don't say it too loud, they think they're gonna get it, you know. Right. Um, you know, and the, the other thing when you go to the hospital, um, you know, uh really that case manager, like I mentioned, or a case manager, care manager, uh, that that I have said it before, I'll say it again. They're they're generally the smartest people in the building. Um they are um, you know, like I, I know like neurosurgeons and stuff like that are, are really uh, brilliant people and that sort of stuff. But if I need somebody to, um, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm in an emergency and I, and I need somebody to, to, to pull through and do some things for me and get some things done, right. It's the case manager is the person I'm going to be calling because that person can get the tire changed. They can schedule transport. Um, they can, they can, they can check everything else out in the car. That's really working fine. They can do all those things in, in, in one hand, while on the phone with somebody else having a conversation about, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, and so I would, you know, whenever you have a loved one or a friend or you're, or you're the, you're, you're the healthcare show prop for that individual, that patient, uh, that case manager should be your best friend. Um, and, and the thing is though, they're trying to solve, you know, 20 years of issues in 72 hours. And they're trying to do that for 26 other people at the same time. Wow. Right. Um, so they, they get, they do have their hands full, but if you're making them their, your best friend, um, then that's going to help. That's going to help you, your, your, your patient out. And it's going to help them out a lot. Uh, cause you, you usually they, they, they just get, they just get beat down by everybody. Um, you know, it, it, they're, they're, they have, they have, they have multiple external customers that they have to deal with but they have double the amount of internal customers that they have to deal with. And, and that's very, that makes it a very challenging role. Yeah, absolutely. So, sorry. I, we, we, we work with a lot of case managers and I, and I, and 99% of them are some of the very, very best people we've ever, ever had the privilege to work with. That is, that is also great advice. Um, you know, a lot of insurance companies also have case managers, and I've yep. recommended to people many times that that's that can be your best friend because in many cases, yep. in almost every case for a case manager for an insurance company, while they are paid by the insurance company, they are actually agnostic. So they are paid to be your representative, quite honestly. So they represent the client, not the insurance company. And 
the insurance company is actually required by law to pay them to be agnostic in that situation and give you the best advice. So case managers, uh, you know, they get, you get a, they may get a bad rap in some industries, but in healthcare, a case manager can be your biggest advocate and your biggest help in so many different ways. So don't ever, you know, overlook uh, using that case manager. Uh, 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 an interesting story for um, speaking on the on the insurance side of case management. Um, it was a young insurance company; they're they were a national brand, and um, and uh, so we were working with this pretty complex case. Uh, uh, the patient had actually been at a ho another hospital before, um, and she was uh, discharged to an unlicensed facility because um, they couldn't get her placed, and she ended up showing up at a hospital that we work with, and we ended up getting a case, and we got her we got her placed pretty quickly. Um, because we got her, we got her signed up on a, uh, essentially on, a, on an Obamacare plan, right? Uh, she didn't qualify for Medicaid, didn't qualify for uh, Medicare, obviously, because she's not disabled. Um, well, not at the time, she wouldn't have been declared disabled. Uh, but so we had to get her onto an Obamacare plan. Yeah, it's a new company and new case manager. And, um, and I kind of like talked to her. I said, well, this is the case with our patient and this is what's been going on. And these are the accepting facilities we got. And uh, new case manager, she's like, "Well, I'm probably going to get fired, but I'm going to go ahead and approve all these." <laughs> <laughs> and and she set it up, and it was just like, and and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't there for very long. And we get the next case manager, which is her supervisor, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'm well aware of this case." And she's like, "Don't worry, like we're we're going to pull it, we're going to pull it through on this young lady." And uh, and then about six months later, she's like, "Um." Has this young lady qualified for Medicaid yet? <laughs> We've got a lot of heat. <laughs> let me talk to the let me talk to the family. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but so they like I said, like you know, they they know what's coming, but it's like, you know, they can they they do it, you know. So that was that was pretty awesome with them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was. I don't think it was just that. I think she was probably it was probably as a remote job. She was working at home. She's like, I could probably get paid doing remote <laughs> more someplace else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or, the kids drive, be, or the kids are driving up the wall. <laughs> yeah, but I would think it's got to be somewhat difficult for any of those folks because I mean you're dealing with people in some of the worst circumstances of their life, and you're hearing some terrible stories about things that happen to people and the, and the amount of care that they need. And so there's got to be some, you know, just, just like anyone hearing these stories all the time. I mean, if you're a case manager, no one's coming to you because I need to have an ingrown nail removed. People are coming <laughs> to you because, you know, they've got some stuff going on, right? They've got some pretty yeah. serious situations that you now have and they're they're seeking help for so it's yeah. it's got to be somewhat taxing hearing some of the situations as well so there I got to have some empathy for them and the fact that they do such a good job that that that's there's something to be said for that it takes a special person oh it's it's a tough job I really kind of like um really kind of hope like this next evolution of healthcare you know I, I really kind of hope that it the case manager position kind of like, you know, uh, takes a much more prominent role in it because yeah, they, they definitely do have um, the, the, the right one at the center of this, of what we are trying to do here. And, you know, it's definitely the patient. So yeah, they, they, they do a phenomenal job. It's, 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 it's a thankless job. I mean, it really is. I mean, I don't know if pizza yeah. parties cover it. 
(laughs) (laughs) You know, here is what has kind of come out of that. And so, of course, we work with mostly on the self-funded world and and putting plans together and building our own stacks and working with, you know, awesome groups with nurse, nurse navigators and what would then be considered the part of your navigation and stuff through through, um, traditional insurance. But these folks are hired and they're typically, they're typically nurses and mm-hmm. are clinicians that are helping guide you through this system so that you're never alone through it. And that yeah. is that is one of the things that make these plans work so much better is that navigation and advocacy. And I know you guys do some of that as well in helping yeah. folks that kind of get with you before their, their journey through the hospital system. But that's mm-hmm. really what sets these plans apart and gives it another layer that your traditional BUCA plans don't do for their clients. Uh, their, you know, their answer in most cases is, well, look online and find something that's in the network. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. That's as much as they're going to help you in the front end guiding you. Uh, you really have to get in a more serious, serious situation before you're, you will get a case manager or you'll get your own advocate. But in a well-designed health plan, that is getting, making sure you get to the right care at the right place at the right time, that is not going to be the case. You're going to have someone walk with you for that, that uh, uh, you know, ingrown toenail. If you want them to, they're there for you. They're going to help make sure you get to the right doctor for that ingrown toenail and you yep. get the best care for that uh, because there's nothing too little or too big that they won't help you get through. So that is one of the dramatic differences that you can see through a well-orchestrated health plan that you as the employer will have more control over. So if you guys are ever interested in that, then please reach out to us at Eagle Care Health Solutions because we want to help guide you down that direction. And, you know, even if you don't work with us, at least you'll understand how those plans work better. And we can guide you to a network of other folks like us that build plans, even if you want someone closer in your area will be happy to get you with them as well. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, Timothy, I sure appreciate you spending some time with us, buddy. I mean, this has been very enlightening, great information. Uh, Folks, if you want to learn more about what they do over at ATP Healthcare, you can go to, shockingly enough, (laughs) atphealthcare.com. Wow. What a novel concept. Someone whose company is also the name of their website. Uh, but to make sure you heard me clear, that's A is in Apple, T is in Timothy, mm-hmm. T is in paulhealthcare.com. You go out there and check them out. You can see the services they have both for providers, uh, hospitals, uh, also individuals. Uh, they, you do guys do a lot of other stuff for folks. I saw you do moving and estate sales. You help folks sell their home. Uh, you yep. can also do an insurance audit. I love the insurance audit. I do a lot of that myself look at people's plans and make sure that they're making the right decision, especially during open enrollment, even for stuff I don't provide. I'll look at uh, people's plans and say, Hey, here's what your company's offering, or here's what you're different. This is the one I would recommend if it was my family. Yep. Uh, also, of course, give more uh, information on power of attorney, guardianship, Medicaid, help folks with that caregivers, all the different services you got provide very, very impressive. I'm sure folks can also reach you. I know I did out on LinkedIn. And uh, then you're also doing some tweeting. I saw you're on Twitter. Uh, I'm not much of a tweeter. Or I guess we're not answers right. or whatever now. I don't know. I don't know. I don't do much of that. Uh, but you can reach you on probably all the regular platforms as well. 
Yep, yep. And if you want to talk about um, artificial intelligence and healthcare, um, yeah, the um, uh, that the platform is is pretty robust and it's really built around uh, with around the case manager uh, okay. and and helping that patient uh, and that pa- and that case manager relationship throughout the care journey, um, not just in the hospital but into the post acute care. And uh, yeah, and that's that's a that's a that's a definite fun conversation. <laughs> it is. It is a, it's it's wild. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's something else right now. If you're listening right now and you haven't delved more into AI, you're falling behind. I mean, it's it's not just coming; it's here. So you know, it, it wasn't long ago I was I was telling people it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, it's not coming anymore. It's already here. And if you're not utilizing it. And if you're a health system in a hospital and a provider that's not using it, you're falling behind. You are falling behind quickly and you're you're not going to realize how far behind you are until you realize how far behind you are. <laughs> and then playing catch up is going to be really tough. Yeah, it's yeah, and that's probably a conversation for a different day because the the window on it is is very short. Um, you know, we we've worked with this company for for several years now, and we we're just kind of like just waiting and waiting to when when it would be the right environment for it. And you know, the um, the release of ChatGPT kind of really kind of helped people understand like what what this actually does. You know, and 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 that's um, you know, it, it really is a very it's a very powerful tool um, that. Uh, it does a, it does an incredibly good job. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many little things that just I mean that just eat away on people's time and makes their days much more efficient and makes their work much more enjoyable. Yeah, Chat GPT and some of the corresponding AI tools that are available out there. The uptake on that. So the people that started using it. It reached a hundred million users. AI, the new, what we would consider the new AI type product since Jet GPT was released, faster than anything else in the history of mankind. Yeah, anything else that's ever been released. It and it, it didn't just reach it faster. It reached it faster, and it's not even close to anything yeah. else. Less than a year, I and mean, like ten months, a hundred million people were already using it. And some of the things they were comparing it to for that 100 million users were, you know, like the iPhone and they're just different things like that. It's not even close. It's yeah. not even close. I mean, it took years for any of the other things, multiple years for the other things to reach 100 million users, but this did it in less than a year. So yeah. if that doesn't tell you how far behind the eight ball or how far behind you're going to be, if you don't make some changes in what your adoption of AI is, then... I don't know what else would, but you're you're falling behind, further behind every day. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, and I say it's a, it's a it's a, a very fun area to be looking at and and, and exploring right now. And, and I I I I'll, I will leave it at that. If anybody wants to know more, they they can call us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Reach out, find out how it can fit in to your system, or find out. You know how things are, are because I'm sure once again that's a whole other show. But I'm sure you guys have great aspirations of other things that you're going to add into other services through that that as well. So once again, we'll yeah. we'll 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 get together for another conversation on the AI side of that, Timothy. But I do really appreciate you being with us today and sharing uh, your wisdom on this subject. 
I, I always think it's cool when someone never intended to be where they are, but they found their place, they found their niche, as it were, and the passion that they have for it won't let them leave because that's exactly what happened to me. I was, there is zero chance when I was younger that I was going to be an insurance guy. Never would happen. But here I am, and I can't imagine doing anything else because until we make dramatic differences in access to health care in this country, I'm going to stay in insurance so I can keep finding out all the things that's wrong with it so I can make things right for other folks, too. So once again, appreciate you being here, buddy. Appreciate you being with us. And uh, folks, y'all keep listening in. Uh, every week, new episode of Health and Wealth Power Hour. And don't forget the last Tuesday of every month, we do on LinkedIn Live our version of Why Does Healthcare Suck? We touch on very different subjects. Uh, you know, we had our Halloween horror stories in October. <laughs> uh, we touched on why fee-for-service in uh, paying doctors has been so detrimental in healthcare in November. We talked about that with Dr. Clint Flanagan. And in December, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. We're going to give some positive. We want some happy holiday stories. So the day after Christmas on the 26th of December, we will be sharing some happy holiday stories on beautiful outcomes and things that people have enjoyed about the healthcare system. Could be a three or four minute show. So y'all be sure and listen in. It could be the shortest show of the year, but I'll tell you what, the day after Christmas, when you're still kind of, you know, glowing from all your presence, maybe you'll have a good story to share with us too. Thanks a lot for being with us and we'll catch you next time on the Health and Wealth Power Hour. We are out.